Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's July 22nd, 1894. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. It was on this day that the Parisian magazine Le Petit Journal organized what is considered to be the world's very first car race, which took place from Paris to Rouen. And Pierre Giffard, the magazine's editor, promoted it as a competition for horseless carriages that are not dangerous, easy to drive and cheap during the journey. So already the description of what you were about to get reveals kind of where we were at in car history. Yeah, horseless carriages is a brilliant phrase, isn't it? It's a bit like as if the first electric car race was called the clutchless races. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But there were carriages, these contraptions. If you look at these pictures from 1894, that is what they most look like. They're much higher than cars as we know them now. Some of them had solid iron tyres. One of them was an eight-passenger wagonette that weighed four tons. Yeah. Yeah, the very early cars were 17th century and they were powered by steam and the beginning of of like off-road steam technology obviously because like already to produce a steam engine you've got a pretty big hefty thing that that they were creating things that were somewhat more like kind of uh, trains than they were cars and so you had on the one hand an evolution of trains being produced that that were sort of massive off-road buses and on the other hand then you did have the inspiration coming from carriages connected to horses so they did very much look as you say like these yeah like that they'd just taken the horses off and they were going (laughs) and it was such an extreme novelty at the time the average person would have been relatively unlikely to have seen a car so the qualifying event for the race was basically a 31 mile journey sort of in and around Paris and the idea was that people would obviously then see the cars and it would drum up publicity for the main event to qualify for the main race you had to complete this 31 mile Paris circuit in three hours and apparently some people objected to the dangerously high average speed of 10 miles per hour that you would need to complete that course. (laughs) But 21 drivers did qualify. Yeah, it is amazing when you consider like the the power of cars back then. So the car that came in first was actually steam powered, but it was ruled ineligible because it had a stoker on board. So it had to have this actual guy who put you know coals in the fire to make the car go and, and one by of the, st- the way before you reveal who <laughs> then got the winning prize even though that car came first can we just pay due to jules albert de dion because he was the person who was aboard that car piling the steam in won the race and was disqualified he was also the same person that had won a previous first ever race in the world that had been held in 1887, but he was the only entrant. (laughs) So he'd waited seven years to win a race with someone else who was going to bother to compete, and he won, and it didn't count. Can you imagine how that feels? Is that why history books don't account for that as the first ever race? Because you technically can't have a race if there's only one entrant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean... 
He was there. He was trying really hard. <laughs> Apparently what was difficult, initially there were about 100 people who wanted to enter this race, but in the end there were only 21 cars participating. And apparently it wasn't so much a lack of cars because there were lots of people who were amateur inventors who liked tinkering around making a car. But the lack of qualified drivers, apparently this was basically sweeping up all of the people qualified to drive, which I imagine was mm. also a lot more difficult on those early machines. But we keep calling it a race. I mean, it wasn't technically a race. It was what the French call a concours so it was more of a mm. contest which meant that it was basically up to the judges to decide who won and so they as you were saying Aaron they ended up disqualifying de Dion because he was using a steam-powered car that required a stoker and the whole point was to promote the car as a viable way of travel to the masses the crowd were on side with that by the way yes. I saw one member of the public who compared this 20 horsepower steam tractor that de Dion was driving having waited seven years to race <laughs> as a steel horse like they weren't impressed <laughs> they liked the petrol Ones. Yeah, I mean, it, it does bear similarity to races as we understand them, though, because they did actually time everyone's performance. So even though it was a sort of demonstration of motoring prowess and power at the time, they broke to have lunch in a little town <laughs> halfway along the, <laughs> the course. How French is that? Also, not just not just a break for lunch, which is reasonable, because that must have been hard work steering a six-ton car <laughs> for many hours, but... Stop to have lunch for an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, just in units of 30 minutes, surely an hour would be the maximum lunch permitted in a race. 90-minute <laughs> lunch. Knowing you've got a 90-minute lunch break coming up, I feel like the tactical thing to do would not be to waste all of your energy in the first half of this race. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, who won, Arian? Who won? Okay, who so the, the, the winner was Albert Lemaitre. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but anyway, he was driving a three-horsepower Peugeot. Uh, that was the fastest uh, car, which at the time would have had an average speed of about 17 kilometers an hour or 11 miles per hour by sort of way of comparison the most powerful current car on the market not a peugeot i'm going to guess and it's not a peugeot it's a supercar made by a sort of um, boutique manufacturer called koenigsegg uh, and the agera rs11 offers 1341 horsepower which uh, which is a little bit more than three horsepower i feel like horses has become a bit of an unhelpful measurement yeah, of true. power at this point yeah, it's probably not so relevant i was even thinking about that that three horsepower does sound quite impressive when you're thinking about when you have one horse to pull your carriage you'd be thinking oh well i would like a mechanical carriage that that goes with the power of three horses that's quite powerful <laughs> yeah yeah i can see how you would actually look on that as the purchasing decision and be like, yeah hmm, i can picture it three horses but if you take nothing away from this week's podcast apart from that fact i think that is the pub quiz fact isn't it peugeot won i mean because right. like, that's a name everyone like you can imagine that coming up as a question can you which car manufacturer won the first ever car race it's kind of impressive that they're mm. still running as a car company and i was wondering why don't they make more of that because uh, benz existed not mercedes benz but benz daimler mm. existed then they also mm -hmm. entered and did not win peugeot mm. won why don't peugeot talk about it and then i thought probably because the average speed was 11 miles per hour it's just <laughs> it's just too old isn't it for the marketing material now the other slightly unmarketable fact is that albert lemaitre went on to shoot his wife dead notoriously Ooh, after yeah. oh. she asked him for a divorce and in a very French turn of events, he was found innocent because it was ruled a crime of passion and the court apparently burst into applause. After they'd taken a 90-minute lunch break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so they just wouldn't want to be associated with his face, perhaps. <laughs> he didn't go on to become one of the great pioneers of the car. <laughs> 
And so if we want to talk about the first actual proper race race with cars, the following year did not have a scheduled lunch break. It was intended <laughs> to be an actual race. And I think this is quite impressive, considering that the Paris-Rouen run was 78 miles. The next year, there was a Paris to Bordeaux and then back to Paris race, which was 732 miles long. So wow, that is impressive, isn't it? A, yeah. a big, big, and once again... In common with the previous year, the people who actually finished first were disqualified. The first two people to arrive back in Paris because they were using two-seater cars rather than the four-seater cars prescribed in the rules. And the official Mm. winner actually arrived 11 hours later. They weren't nail-biting finishes, these races, were they? The the, the Dion that sort of won the race we've been describing arrived at 5.40pm. The last car in the race arrived at 10pm in this first car race. So, I mean, as a spectator, that's a long gap, isn't it? Indeed. And while there may not have been a scheduled lunch stop in the Paris-Bordeaux race... There was a certain leisurely aspect to it, which was the guy who actually finished first, although he didn't end up getting first prize, was a guy called Emile Levasseur, who arrived in Bordeaux so early that his co-driver, who was meant to do the return leg, had gone to sleep in an unknown hotel. No one knew where he was. So Levasseur explained the situation to the organisers. He had, quote, some sandwiches and champagne and set off back for Paris at half past two in the morning by himself. Part of the reason that the UK doesn't feature in quite a lot of this early car technology is because people were quite resistant to these weird machines. And the UK Locomotive Act of 1865 regulated that thing that you may have heard about, where someone had to go in front of every car with a red flag and a lantern, heralding its imminent arrival. And this was brought in by that that 1865 Act and lingered until actually 1896, after this race took place. So in the UK, you were still having to kind of account for the fact that people were so afraid of cars mm. that they thought that they were these dangerous machines that you needed someone out the front with a flag they waving wildly. And they were dangerous. People died all the time for the first five decades of car ownership. They were just wealthy people with huge cars that weighed a ton that would <laughs> yeah. knock you over and kill you out of the blue. And everyone was like, well, that's fine because of progress <laughs> yeah. in a way that just is not fine now. <laughs> and quite frankly, probably exploded. I mean, these like the engine technology was all brand new. And-, and people couldn't drive. There wasn't a driving test either. Just like, do you have money to buy a car? Yes, then you can drive. You want to do your race? Make sure you pack your champagne. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow. The speedboat was piloted by a womble. Look at this and marvel, I murmured to Johnny Walker. You will never see anything like this again. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 